Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, yeah. what are you drinking today? Um, since we're recording in the morning, it's plain old black coffee. So my cutoff Ooh. is now like noon to one-ish with coffee, sadly. Oh. And so I'm in that window. Just good old Georgetown blend from 309 black coffee. That's Way to go, 309. Yeah. Shouts out to 309. That's right. Our favorite As non-sponsor always. sponsors of the That's podcast. Right. Okay, how about you? What are you drinking? Well, I've got to get my blood work done today because I'm 45. And <laughs> as you know, when you turn 45, you have to start doing all these things that include poking and prodding. Right. So today is a poking day. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm only drinking water. I have been fasting since, I don't know, last night. That and stinks. I'm starving to death. Right, right. But I was allowed to drink coffee, but come to find out when you drink coffee on an empty stomach, you sort of feel like you're going a thousand miles an hour. Oh, yeah. So I yeah. kind of tapered. Do not recommend. I've done that before. Um, yeah. And so we want to mention you sound a little bit funny, but not that bad. You just sound a little mm-hmm. slightly different. Well, I mean, I always sound funny, but I sound funny today because um, I have uh, lost my uh, interface for my microphone. I had no idea where it went. It disappeared. <laughs> it walked off. So. I got to find a new interface. And in the meantime, I'm recording on, um, you know, AirPods, also not a sponsor, although Apple, if you'd like, reach out. We're we're happy to. (laughs) All right. Well, um, let's, you know, as we talked a few weeks ago, a few few episodes ago, two episodes ago, maybe, we discussed the idea of books, what we love about books, what we didn't, I guess we discussed some books that we love, but it was more about the idea of like why books are important, why we love them. And I've been thinking about this a lot, Tish, because um, there are rumors floating around here in Arkansas that there are several more banned books uh, coming. Now, it made me think a whole lot about books and why they're important and how they convey ideas that threaten power um, and ideas that solidify power and the like. And so timely today that we're talking about books mm-hmm. and and before we move on to your book pick for the uh day um i'd love to hear your thoughts about all the recent book bannings or threats <laughs> of book bannings i don't know much about it other than the fact that i know some of the books that are on the in the news about being banned are not like you said actually banned. They're removed from certain libraries in, let's say, elementary schools because they are inappropriate. Or teachers are choosing one book over another on their book list. I will say I'm very fascinated as someone who is kind of in the education world and in particular skews classical in the style of teaching that I prefer, that I am regularly fascinated with the increasing um, concern of kids not reading certain books that are considered hard or perhaps need replacing by something new just because it's new instead of the fact that like, you know, there's some maybe problematic things, what have you. So to me, that part is always interesting. I'm a big, big believer in reading old books uh, just because I've stood the test of time. There, If you think about it, there are millions of books that have been written over time. And we don't, if we don't know about them, it's because they fell by the wayside because they didn't stand the test of time, right? So not at all to imply new books are bad. And in fact, we plan to talk about new books as we go or newer-ish books, modern books 
but that's to me of interest. And so yeah. the book I am going to share with you today is not old in the sense of like, um, you know, the Odyssey old, but it's not a recent publication. And I assign this to my students every other year. And it is one of my more favorite books to discuss with them because it provides all sorts of fun discussion. And they are always surprised at how readable it is and how funny it is Ooh. and Ooh. how um, timeless it is, meaning it spoke to a very particular time, which I don't want to say lest it spoil it, but it's super relevant today. So I'm going to read you, Seth, Ooh. a few excerpts. I'm going to read you three. I'm going to see if you can guess what the book okay. is. So okay. the first section I'm going to read to you, it says, he is a hedonist at heart. Uh, he has a bourgeois mind. He has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without his minding in the least. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, making love, playing, praying, working. Everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. We fight under cruel disadvantages. Nothing is naturally on our side. So that's the first quote. Second quote. You okay, can't... I already have a guess, but keep going. Okay, the second quote is short. Um, it is, it does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards. If cards can do the trick. And then the last quote is short. Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to this fact? All right. What do you think it is? It's screw tape letters. It is screw tape letters. Okay. So screw tape letters, I debated picking because it's kind of an eye roll to some, perhaps, you know, C.S. Lewis is almost overly celebrated in the Christian world to where he becomes an afterthought, I think, because he's so um, ordinary or he's so common. Um, I love what Peter Kreeft says about him. He's a modern Catholic philosopher, he says he believes that the reason God didn't have C.S. Lewis become Catholic is so the Protestants would love to read him um, <laughs> because otherwise he's, because he's otherwise Catholic, you know, and how he thinks right, right, and just right. about everything else. But evangelicals love him. Everybody loves him. So I was like, eh, I don't want to do C.S. Lewis. That's too basic. But you can't not talk about him on a podcast where we talk about good books that are transcendental, you know, that kind of mm. lift behind the layer to see what's really there. And to me, mm -hmm. Screw Tape Letters is one of the best entry books. If you're like, you know, a listener's thinking, I have no idea who, I mean, I know who C.S. Lewis is, but I have no idea where to start. Screw Tape Letters, I would argue, is a really good place to start. Have you, I'm guessing you've read uh, it. Agreed. Could guess. Agreed. Oh, yeah. I've read oh, that okay. several times. Okay. And I mean, I, I, I thought I knew when you said the first Quote, I actually, I actually thought, well, that could be because sometimes I conflate. I was like, that could be, that could be Chesterton. Right. But then when you read the second one and then when you read <laughs> uh, Patient, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. That's screw tape for sure. Yeah. So that's why I ended um, that with yeah. the third one. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, super simple once you say Patient. So um, just to give a little background for those who aren't familiar, C.S. Lewis wrote this during World War II, but he wrote it as a column in a newspaper in The Guardian. So it would come out, I don't know if it was weekly or monthly or whatever, but he wrote it as a series of letters, one at a time. Um, and it, it is from one demon written uh, named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood. And it's basically him being a um, apprentice 
demon in a way who has been given a patient, AKA a human, and he is learning the ropes of how to basically pull him away from God. Mm-hmm. And so this is a monthly or a regular column during uh, the outbreak of World War II. So it hits on that kind of stuff. And it was eventually compiled into a full book. He wrote an afterward um, later when it became super popular. He dedicated this book to Tolkien. And um, he has gone on record saying it was the hardest book he wrote or it was the least enjoyable book he wrote. Because mm-hmm. he just did not like putting his head in that space. And I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting. So Yeah. 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 So tell me tell me this, Tish. When was the first time you read that book? Can you remember? Mm-hmm. I read it in high school because it was a youth group read. I want to say we did like a book club or something in the summer. And everybody else was super into it. And I thought it was just kind of okay and a little bit weird. Um, I thought it was yeah. kind of like, you know... <laughs> Which is hard for me to admit because I've always loved British stuff. I've always loved, you know, reading. But to me, I just kind of felt like this is a little bit creepy. I don't know if it was just my good girl side that just felt a little Mm. like, yeah, this stuff is probably real, but I don't like thinking about it. I would rather just like pretend the unseen is not um, there. And so I set it aside for quite a while. And I want to say I didn't pick it up again until my 20s. And then really grew to appreciate it. But then I think in my adulthood, all the way to being an, a parent and then being a parent of a teen and then being a teacher, I super appreciate the timelessness of this book. And it, and it's funny. It's genuinely funny because yes. of the things he hits on. And it's not your typical like scare him in the night with bite marks and levitations. It's like mm-hmm. um, the categories I put uh, screw tapes at you know, training to wormwood in is for the human, keep them distracted, keep them worried, keep them inward focused and keep them autonomous like that in my mind are like the four categories that he is suggesting. So it's like stuff like make them really annoyed at their mom, like notice, Mm -hmm. have them notice their mom's annoying chewing at the table (laughs) and let that like totally throw off their day. Or um, when it comes to church, have them go to church, but like make the singing off key, make the person's boots next to him squeak in a weird way so that he thinks this religion actually might not be real. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, we have all been there in some capacity, you know? It's, it's the weirdest, most uh, like sardonic humor. I mean, Mm -hmm. to say humor is, is right, but it's that sort of like, you know, cynical, dark wit. Yeah. Um, that just runs throughout, even when, when he's, whether he's talking about the patient or whether he's talking to his apprentice, um, there's just that. I, screw tape has this voice that you can just hear. You just know yeah. it when you hear yeah. it. And, um, and Lewis did such a good job uh-huh. with that. The other thing that's fascinating about that book, I think, is the way you infer what the correspondence from Wormwood would have been. Does yep. that make sense? It is because it's only letters from Screwtape to Wormwood. So we don't see Wormwood's back and forth, but we totally right. pick up on what's going on. Um, right. Yeah. And that's it's a really interesting way to do an epistolary book, which I appreciate because epistolary is not my favorite and it can be done really badly. Yeah. But it's this yeah, is obviously right. done really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I was going to say read out loud a few parts that I just thought were great or not, not necessarily read out loud in a long way, but just kind of bring up a few points that I thought was interesting. One of the points um, 
regarding, I would call maybe the keep them inward or keep them distracted is this idea of, oh, well, I should say that the patient becomes a Christian by like chapter, like by the third letter or so. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what he is saying is uh, one of the things screw up screw tape tells Wormwood to do is to make him feel like his prayer needs to be spontaneous and interesting and not rote. Make him think that rote mm-hmm. prayer, memorized prayer is bad. And in fact, he mm-hmm. says, um, this is the, uh, this is exactly the sort of prayer we want. And since it bears a superficial resemblance to the prayer of silence as practiced by those who are very far advanced in the enemy's service, who the enemy is God, um, clever mm-hmm. and lazy patients can be taken in it for quite a long time. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget, and what you must always remember, that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. And mm-hmm. so I like, you know, C.S. Lewis was a high church Anglican, Anglo-Catholic, and he uh, obviously participated in a form in a tradition that embraced liturgy, but you know had this the kneeling, the standing up, the crossing yourself, the sitting down, reciting old prayers, confessing your sins in a church, you know, through a rote prayer. And I love that he's saying one of your methods is just to tell the patient that that's that that's not genuine. That yeah. they need to come up tell with their own that. original version of yep. of connecting with God. Yeah, yeah, to rethink everything. To this rethink is actually everything. something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um because as you may or may not know, I've been exploring um deep craft like craftsmanship, like mm. uh sort of the amazing stuff of life, like the stuff that people go all in to sort of create. Um the crazy people. You know, they're like, "Hey, that guy was a, you know, a had a corporate job and he quit everything to go be a guitar maker. And everybody's like, Oh, that's insane. And then 20 years later, he's making these beautiful pieces of art that people play music on. Hmm. Um, I've been, so I've been thinking a lot about the physical, about what we do with our bodies, about how, what we do with our bodies is the highest expression of an idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And how any of these sorts of theologies or ways of being that just sort of keep us locked in our brain and overthinking and rethinking and all this, like it's just death in the end. And that's kind of what that makes me think of. Yep. I think that's exactly right. I think, um, you know, we are so visual or just so sensorial that we just only really believe what we can see, which is, I think, a little Mm -hmm. bit of of what they're talking about here. Um, And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, a few letters later, he just says, all mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. And so I think it's that, it's that idea, not so much like fake it till you make it, but kind of. (laughs) And I I think that's what he's getting at. Like let the patient think that he should only pray if he really feels it or if he's, if he's, you know, an enlightened, if he understands everything, if he's fully, um, fully into it. Instead of just this rote, you know, like, I don't want to do Lent, but it's Lent. So I guess I'm doing Lent, you know, those kinds of things. We've all been there, but we, I don't know. It's interesting that that could be a tactic. Uh, We've all been there and probably still are there sometimes. uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. (laughs) All right, next passage. Read me something else. So another part is, and this is hinting into the thing I read at the beginning, which is God is a hedonist. He says, never forget that when we're dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are on the enemy's ground. All the same, it's his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. And so he, what he's getting at is this idea of like what 
sin is, I guess. But I think whatever it is you think about that, like we tend to think of everything being a battle of good versus evil, like evil is just as heavily weighted as good. But really, all evil is or all sin is, is just a deprivation of the good because God alone is a creator. And so he creates good things. What evil is, is an absence of that. And so what Mm -hmm. he's saying is like, we, the demons need to remember that we can't create anything good. All we can do is twist it. And so a lot of these things, and, you know, sometimes as parents, we get all in a knot of why doesn't my kid, you know, love X, Y, and Z that a lot of times, and I think Lewis says this in some other books, like it's not because our pleasures are too strong, it's because they're too weak. And, um, and the quote enemy's tactic is to make you think that pleasure is bad mm-hmm. um, when instead mm-hmm. God is the inventor of pleasure. And I think it's pretty ballsy of Lewis to call God a hedonist, but there you go. You know, he does it. Um, uh, did you, have you been doing or reading or listening to uh, the catechism in the year? That <laughs> Father Mike's doing? I mean, that's going to be my recommendation at the end of the show. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Do, you re- do you remember that part of the catechism where that's exactly what is is talked about it, about how God is the creator of all good, of all sacramental, of all the things that, you know, we talk about um, and that uh, th- there's no way to mimic the good. You can only remove it. Like, that's what evil is, is like, as you said, the absence of good. Do you remember that? That was like uh, maybe a, cu- a couple weeks ago. Yep. Hundred percent. I love that part. Yeah. So there we go. So there we you're, go. You're, uh, we are theologically grounded here with C.S. Lewis. <laughs> he is spot on, and mm-hmm. I mean, we see that everywhere. I mean, this is not a new quote tactic. I think this is kind of a, a here and now in the present world in its most obvious form. You know, this has happened for centuries in all cultures and just about all times. But um, mm-hmm. less timeless. But man, is this is this accurate to, I guess, the early 1940s, but also today, and I would argue maybe slightly more in the Protestant world, but I see this in the Catholic world too. It says, um, he says, my dear Wormwood, why have I no report on the causes of his fidelity to the parish church? Do you realize that unless it is due to indifference, it's a very bad thing. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. Um, and then it goes on as saying, the search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. And mm. man, church hopping, looking around for the church that says the things you want it to be. Um, makes you feel a certain way. I, you know, I read that. I remember back in the, my twenties and felt super convicted. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if I don't still see that everywhere now, yeah, yeah. And to be clear, I mean, you said this once, but to be clear, that there's no denomination that is off. There's there's no expression of the Christian faith that is um, not riddled with that problem. Uh-huh. I see it here. We have two parishes here. They're both fantastic. Um, well, we have two parishes in my hometown and then we have a third, a third that's a little bit north, um, that, that is the Latin right. And, um, not to say anything against any of those three churches, but there are people who will tell you, you know, this is the way it should be done. Or, you know, we go to this church because of this music, or we go here because that's where the college students are. And, um, you know, God forbid you go to the church you can walk to. 
Right. And I will, gosh, it hurts too, because I will say as a Catholic who, you know, I think a draw for me as a Catholic convert, one of the draws was this idea of a parish being super local to the point where everybody has a priest that's over their neighborhood. Even if you're not aware of it, you've got a priest, you yeah. know, yeah. and that's just how the, the big, you know, big C Catholic church worldwide works. And so while you're not like, you know, restricted to that church, that is your neighborhood church. And Mm -hmm. if you don't go to that one, at least make it a good reason to not go to that one. And that can be Mm -hmm. really hard because what if you don't like the music? What if that old lady does sing off key? What if, what if the priest isn't great at homiletics? Uh, You know, that gets really hard yeah. and you become like he even said, you become a connoisseur and not a pupil. You start yeah. thinking what's in it for me instead of this is not actually about me at all. And that's hard. So. Yeah, totally. I, mm-hmm. I 100% agree with that. And I think that the biggest shift that I've made in my own thinking over the last, you know, few years has been like, it's not really why I go. I don't really, I don't really go for the homiletics. I don't really go for the music. I, I go, um, because this is the place where I'm planted. You know, yeah. these are the people that I'm neighboring with. This is the priest who's been put over the people that I'm neighboring with. Um, and I may not always like it, but it is what it is. And it there's something about the deep work of like, I think you used to talk about the deep work of staying put. Yep. Yep. The Benedictine. Yeah. There's something about that. Like, I'm going to stay put. Stability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. The, there's something about that that's really beautiful, even when it's annoying. And he talks earlier in the book to the, like another way to distract his patient is to make him think loving your neighbors really means loving neighbors clear across the world instead of loving your actual real life neighbors. And I think that's yes. the same idea because that's yes. so much harder to do. You know, it's very yes. easy to read the news and to care about the plight of those at the border or those in Ukraine, but not as much that lady that lives down my street who I see with the babies, you know, that's harder because that, that implies I do something. Yep. Um, Yep. Okay. So two more things. Um, Although there's plenty I could talk about. Um, Another part he says is uh, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it's merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christian. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of the mind I call Christianity and, you know, Christianity and the crisis, Christianity and psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychological research, Christianity and vegetarianism. (laughs) And he goes on and on. I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh. So oh, that hurts. It does hurt. That um, hurts. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, I mean. So would he say Christianity and politics? Is that a thing that he would mm-hmm. probably say? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Oh so, boy. Yeah, yeah. So not much has changed. Um, and then the last bit, he says, um, you know, this is during the start of world war two. And I believe this was in like 1941, 1942. So the blitz is when London was being bombed by the Germans. And so Lewis takes advantage of that to talk about uh, the war. And he's saying like, the one thing you should do is to make uh, your patient think 
that physical survival is the thing that matters the most. Um, he says they, meaning humans, do tend to regard death as the prime evil and survival as the greatest good. But that is because we have taught them to do so, meaning demons. Don't let them mm-hmm. be, don't let us be infected by our own propaganda. I know it seems strange that your chief aim at the moment should be the very same thing uh, for which the patient's lover and his mother are praying, namely his bodily safety. Mm. This is a young guy. So I believe he's being um, brought in as a soldier. Um, But it says, uh, if he dies now, you lose him. If he survives the war, there is always hope. And so Mm. I think that's interesting. This idea of surviving the war gives would give hope to the demons, not so much death. And so I think Lewis wraps us up well by kind of reminding us that death, physical death is not the end game. And that's not actually the point or the most important thing we should, we should care about, you know, our physical Mm -hmm. safety at all, at all costs. So here's what I love about everything that you just said. So let me let me sort of recap your five points. Okay. So you talked about um, well, well, Lewis talked about, but it, it struck you um, the idea of embodied faith versus just like this existing in the realm of ideas. Like mm-hmm. we sit, we stand, we eat, we kneel, we say rope prayers for a reason. There are reasons for all these things, and we put our bodies in motion. There. The reasons why we do that in an X space. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you talked about the problem of evil in the world and how evil is just like the absence of good. Um, the third thing was the the idea of the neighborhood church, right? Not being a connoisseur, but like actually embodying a particular place at a particular time with a particular people. Uh, you talked about this idea of Christianity and Christianity plus any idea, <laughs> just any idea, doesn't yep. matter. Um, and then you talked about this idea of the problem of death and physical survival and, and man's preoccupation with it. And what I love about those five topics um, is that they are, and, and our, our dear friend Stephanie Smith talks about this a lot when she, the writer and, and uh, a publisher, when she talks about writing, those topics are universal meaning they apply to everyone, but they're also super, super, super specific. Like Mm -hmm. you can, as you're sitting and as you're reading that book, not only view that as the universal issue, but you can also then say, wow, that's like oddly specific to my life. Like, is he reading me? Is he sitting there like writing to me directly? Is this letter about me? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where the genius of Lewis was in Screwtape Letters was he takes the universal and he makes it particular to you. Yeah. And I think that's why you can read it over the decades of your life and get something out of it. These teens that I assign this to, they come to class shocked that he is talking about something like church shopping or talking mm-hmm. about Christianity plus something because they see this or they even just the idea of like, um, keep, keep people just a little bit worried about the future. You know, don't, don't yeah. remind them always that there's something to be anxious about. And you know, teens right now are riddled with anxiety. We are, you know, as a culture, we're riddled with anxiety. And so just as timeless now as it is then. And yes, it's also super specific. I mean, the fact that he would say Christianity and vegetarianism in 1941, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. is so funny and interesting. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, this whole screw tape wormwood relationship these are demons. I think the thing that's hinted at at the beginning, like I was saying about um, the good versus evil, that it's just a 
a deprivation of the good is um, they are not in it to like have a relationship with the human. They just want to devour him. And so at the end, whenever I believe it ends, no, I know it ends. It, it well, should I? Ah, spoiler. 1940s. Um, I mean, it, listen, it was, yeah, it was written 80 <laughs> years ago. Go for it. Yeah. Um, he, he gets killed in the war. And so yeah. uh, Wormwood's punishment is he gets eaten by his uncle. You know, he basically turns into this weird caterpillar monster thing, which I think with the kids find hilarious and he just eats them. And so it's kind of this yep. idea of like, I don't know. You don't, this isn't to be scared of. Um, I actually was just listening to another thing Peter Kraft was talking about is like the quote enemy is really boring and ordinary. It's saints that are fascinating and interesting and infinitely creative. And so I think it's yeah. a good reminder for us, like focus on the true good and beautiful in life. The, yeah. That's where yeah. the interesting really lives. I mean, and that's very ordinary. It's not like saying make everything big and exciting, but don't, don't sweat, you know, trying to make your life full of purpose. Just, just look for the true good and beautiful and that's enough. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I'm glad you shared that. I'll look mm -hmm. forward to our next installment of the books we read, which yes, I, which you, I don't, that's not like the title of the series. I just I said that with my mouth. Yeah, I don't know. So title, whatever it is, it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the next installment will be fun and will be. maybe I'll bring a book. We'll see. You'll bring a book. Yeah, I like it. All right. So Seth, as we like to end every chat, what's bringing more beauty, goodness, truth, whatever to your life right now. Mm, yes. So I, um, you know, as I said earlier, I've been on this idea about like craft and, and when I say like craft, they, like I make things right. Like mm -hmm. we make things. Um, but there's a difference between like people who like, for instance, you know, make a wooden box that's functional and, and beautiful because you made it with your own hands and whatever. And, and there are people that do those sort of things. And then making like the highest form of that thing, whatever that mm -hmm. thing is, like going above and beyond in order to create some uh, amazing representation of the thing. I'm also super fascinated with the representation of that thing being from uh, nature, like it's made from the elements of nature. So I'm going to share two, two things that are bringing me. Cool. Uh, truth, beauty, and goodness right now. And those All are right. things that are created. And I want people to go look at these things. And then I have another ask. So the first is um, there is a woman who makes hats. Um, it's hats? called Sing Hat Company. Hats. Wait. Just like Western looking hats. Huh. Um, Wait, what's it called? Sing, S-I-N-G, Hat hmm. Company. Okay. Um. And Sing Hat Company, it's just, you know, as far as I know, it's one lady who's, you know, she, she's actually an Arkansas native, but she moved out, moved up to the Rockies because, you know, obviously beauty. Um, and she makes these hats and, you know, she's never going to be famous. She's never going to make 600 hats a year. She's not, as far as I know, trying to scale anything, but she is making exquisite, handmade, one of a kind, fit your head hats out of you know beaver and rabbit felt i mean it's it's just beautiful stuff and like she's never going to be yeah like this is never gonna be famous she's not doing it for her ego she's doing it because she's doing that pursuing the highest form of something yeah and i think that's beautiful there's that's a cool. friend of mine also his name is wilson allison and he has a knife company called wilson knives and he's doing this on the side he's a regular day job 
but he is trying to produce the highest, most beautiful work of like, you know, art that comes from in knife making that comes from Arkansas. Mm. Now he's making some chef knives that, that have a little bit of the Japanese flair to them, but he's also making some bushcraft knives that would be something very, very common to Arkansas uh, back in the day. And these knives are beautiful and we'll, mm. we'll definitely link to both of those in the show. notes. Yeah. But um, just looking at those kinds of things are bringing me a whole lot of joy right now and just relief like that people are out there like making beautiful things with their hands like that is amazing to me so um if you're interested in following along if anyone's interested in following along i'm actually writing about this right now on my sub stack so perfect um go to my sub stack sign up for it and and also tell me who are the people that are creating the most beautiful representation of x y and z you know your local artisan that are like killing it not like doing a good job but right. like killing it. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. what's bringing me truth, beauty, and goodness right now. I love that. I love that. Yeah. We'll yeah. definitely link to both of those and your newsletter as always, because I want to read that now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. So Thanks. Tish, tell me what's one thing yeah. that is bringing truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? Well, since we already spilled the beans, I'm going to say the catechism in a year with Father Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like we've already talked about it, but I'll just bring it up again. Uh, you know, he did a Bible in a year a few years ago, and I listened to that. I want to say about half of it. Kyle listened to all of it twice. Like he he oh wow he drank the Kool Aid if that's a thing you can say about the Bible. Um, but we were both doing the Catechism in a year, and I just think it's a great recommendation for anyone listening uh, who is either maybe Catholic, cradle Catholic, and just wants like a, yeah, what is it, I believe? Um, Or someone who actually wants to know what the Catholic Church teaches. I remember back when I was discerning, and I think you were already Catholic or almost Catholic, um, you had told me just to read the catechism, like instead of all these other, you know, it's kind of like going the primary source documents instead of the secondary, you know, the historians just go to the docs. I mean, it's kind of doing that. It's like, you can read all day long about what these people say the Catholic church teaches about, you know, X, Y, and Z, or you could just hear it from the horse's mouth. And so what he does is every day, the episodes are like 15 minutes long. They are very rambly at the beginning. You can just skip, 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 skip to like five minutes in, I find. <laughs> and just that's, get to the meat true. of it. I don't ever do that, but you could neither do does, that. I know. Neither does Kyle. And I do. But also, anyway. Father Mike, if you're listening, that's that's not a shot. <laughs> it's not at all. I appreciate the work he does. I mean, saying the same thing 365 times it is a is a work. Amazing. So, um, yeah. Anyway, he's just so good at explaining things simply and getting to the point and not, I mean, he's also like the most enthusiastic person I could possibly listen to at that hour of the morning for me. He's so excited about everything. How is he not Canadian? That's my, I know (laughs) he's so just, um, yeah, yeah. He's so earnest about all of this. And so I just really appreciate him and, and what he does, his apostolate, his way of being in the world. And so it's, I think it's a great show for anybody. So just listen to it, make it, you know, listen to it a couple times. You can either just make it part of your daily routine. That's what I do. Like as I'm getting ready for the day, or you could just like, oh yeah, I would like to know about that topic and hit play and just see what you think. So. Yeah. I would also say this is not, I mean, cause I'm also going through it. I would also say this is not, this is not just a Catholic thing. I mean, this is something that anyone yeah. who's 
not even just Catholic curious, like anyone who wants to know, like, oh, yeah. let's go back to, as you said, source source documents. The Catechism actually has a lot of quotes from church fathers and founders of the faith and, and very early mm-hmm. um, Christian thought. And so it's actually just a good grounding for anyone. And if you find things you disagree with, that's cool. We're not here to make you agree with everything, but yeah, it's definitely worth listening to. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the church for 2000 years, or it's existed for 2000 years. So all that early stuff is, is part of your history too, no matter what that's right. your, it's common. You know, that's yeah, right. It's common to all of us. So yeah, yep. yeah, we'll put yep. it in the show notes. All right. Well, it's time to wrap this one up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com. As always, you can also go there to help support the show by picking up the next round of drinks. The show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of just a cup of coffee or a pint, you can help us keep it going. Again, that's at a drink with a friend.com, which is also in the show notes of this episode. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, how about you? They can find me at stephhaines.substack.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. I'm Tish Oxenwriter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.